Alright, Psalm 107, verse 1, the Bible says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Basically, they're just lost. Verse 6, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 9 begins this morning's text. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses, <laughs> He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then... They cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men, and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving, and declare his works with rejoicing. Now look at just the last couple verses of the chapter, verse 42, it says, the righteous shall see it and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. So I want to preach the second in the series of understanding the Lord's loving kindness. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you come down, as we've already said, though we're unworthy, and speak to us, God, and give us some life lessons, and Lord, we sure need them. We sure live it in a day where there is a famine of wisdom and understanding of how to even live our lives, and it is showing up in our day. And Lord, how miserable we are in spite of the tremendous blessings and financial abundance that we're surrounded by. I believe we're more miserable maybe than ever before, certainly near the top of all time. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to know some things from your word to save us. From this condition, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to say this morning that God's goodness to rebels and fools shows his loving kindness. Now, this psalm, as we've already said, gives the understanding of the loving kindness of the Lord. And in the last message, it showed his loving kindness to people that are just lost. They're just alone. They're just in the wilderness. They don't have any direction. They don't know how to get out. And that's no fun at all. It's not a good place to be. But today, it's worse. It's one thing just to be lost. It's something else to be a rebel. Amen. God gets rougher with you when you're a rebel. That's right. Unto whom much is given, 
Much is required. And when you know better, and those of you that have been under Bible-believing, teaching, and preaching, you know better. When you go against it, it's going to be worse than somebody, poor thing, never had a chance and didn't know. It's going to be a different level. God, God's got some special reminders for you. <laughs> Bless your heart. And same way with fools. And we'll talk about the definition of these as we go through the study. Now, this is probably the heart of this psalm. And while it's true that God allows terrible consequences in the lives of rebels and fools, it's equally true that He is standing right there proving His loving kindness drawing people back to himself, not only when they're lost, but even when they've been a hard-hearted rebel. If you don't get right with God, it's not because he isn't offering that to you. Hey, it's because you chose not to go. That's right. Amen. He is standing there with outstretched arms. The question is, will you come to yourself? Romans 2.4 says, Despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Don't treasure up unto yourself more wrath. Don't let it happen. You know, they tell us about compound interest and how if you put your money in the bank, yeah. that, that um, compounds the interest you'll get it a whole lot faster. They asked Benjamin Franklin one time, they said, what is the most powerful force you've ever come across? And he said, compound interest. If you ever put your money in a real good uh, uh, mutual fund or something that's really growing quickly, it will blow your mind how fast your money can grow. Now let me tell you the opposite side of that. The opposite side of that is you can invest in anger and contempt and despising of God and you'll be surprised how fast your punishment will compound. Treasurest up unto thyself wrath. Just like your money will get bigger and bigger and bigger if you invest it wisely, your troubles will get bigger and bigger and bigger if they, and here's the big key, if they are against God. Now, I don't recommend that you do anybody wrong. I don't recommend you do any man, woman, boy, or girl wrong, your mama, your daddy, your brothers, your sisters, your friends, your boss, your co-workers. I don't recommend doing anybody wrong. But if there is one that it is especially stupid to do wrong, it would be God. Amen. Make sure no matter what else is going on in your life, Make sure, no matter how much you might be treating someone else unjustly, make sure you and God are close for your own self if no other reason. He can put some hurting on you that nobody else can. So let's look. There's only two points here. Now, they're pretty heavy points, but there's only two points here. The repenting rebels and the repenting fools. Rebels and fools, that's what we'll preach about. All right, let's first of all look at the description and history of the rebels. All right, verse 10, it says of this rebel, it says, uh, Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. All right, that's different than the guys we preached about last week. They were lost in the wilderness. 
But this is more of a man-made affliction. Don't get in a man-made affliction. If you find yourself in affliction, let yourself just fall into the hands of God to get you out of it. The God, if, you're, if you're lost in nature, just trust the God of nature to get you out of it. But here is somebody who is sitting. Now, sitting represents being brought to inactivity and ineffectiveness. Uh, Dr. Ruckman had a great sermon he used to preach called Sitting and Watching from that text there in the Gospels where he said, and sitting, they watched him there. I think he got that from uh, Talmadge, the preacher up north from years ago. Sitting and watching. Let me tell you what our generation is. They sit and watch way too much. Right. And I'm as guilty as the next. I grew up watching TV and I like movies and I like watching ball games and I like watching educational you know, documentaries and videos and that sort of thing and figuring out stuff I don't understand. But here's the problem with that. You end up sitting and watching too much. Amen. And you end up looking at this world's pictures too much. And I got the same weakness that most people do these days. Look out for sitting. You know what happens? You fall into inactivity. You know what happens when you fall into inactivity? You get ineffective. That is, you don't get anything done. Amen. You don't reach any goals. You don't end up where God wants you. You want to know the rule of success? Bob Jones Sr. said this so well. He said, the man who is a success in life is the man who finds what God wants him to do and does it. Amen. Just do that. Just find what God wants you to do and do it. It's really that simple. Now, it would be great if we could all attain perfection. Wouldn't that be a blessed thing? Oh, Amen. glory. Wouldn't it be great if all day, every day, every moment of every day, we were doing just exactly what we should do? That's probably a level of uh, scrutiny that we're not going to live up to. <laughs> but I tell you what, you Amen. can very reasonably and remarkably easily live up to. Find the main thing that God would have you do and prepare and start doing it. Amen. Now, are you going to do every little detail right? No, I'll just be honest with you. We're all human. We're all imperfect and far from... Imperfect doesn't even say it strongly enough, does it? We're far from perfect. But you can find the main thing God would have you do and get busy about it. You young men that are called to preach, study, read, take opportunities, spread the word. Get busy about it. Whatever it is God has called you to do, learn it. Do your best at it. And watch His blessing come all over your life. What a blessing it will be. Sitting. Alright, second thing is not only are they sitting, but they're sitting in darkness and the shadow of death. We live in a dark day. From time to time, somebody that I know well or somebody that I work with or somebody that I'm acquainted with, I'll, I'll see them and I can tell by the look on their face, something's wrong. It is almost as if there is a cloud over their head. Some of you have told me over the years from time to time, Brother Bob, we can see it all over your face. You were going through it, man. <laughs> and uh, let me tell you, a miserable place to be where you're just sitting in darkness, in the oh, shadow yes. of death. And uh, it just doesn't look like there's any hope, there's any way out. 
That is a horrible place to be. But it gets worse. They're sitting in darkness and the shadow of death. And look at this word in about the middle of verse 10. Bound. They're tied up. They can't get free. At least lost in the wilderness you can move. At least lost in the wilderness you can walk over here and get a drink of water. At least lost in the wilderness you might come up with a snare and catch a squirrel and have something to eat. At least lost in the wilderness you can move and do something. But here they're sitting in darkness in the shadow of death and bound and can't even help themselves in affliction and iron. Affliction means you're hurting. You can't even do anything. You know, if you're home and you're hurting, you can at least get up and take an Advil. <laughs> but if you're sitting there hurting and you're bound, you can't even get up. You can't even go ring the bell to call the jailer to come do something for you. You're just bound. It's unpleasant. It's hurtful. And notice what they're bound in. In iron. You know what that tells me? Hopeless. Anybody here big and strong enough to break out of iron? Iron's a little stronger than us. <laughs> I mean, we joke about, you know, Superman being the man of steel, you know, and I've joked over the years, yeah, don't worry about me. I'm, I'm tough as nails. I'm, I'm the man of steel. I can take it. But truth of the matter is, if you're up against iron, you're going to lose that battle. <laughs> There's no way out of that. You get some good thick iron in there, and you're, you're hopeless. Verse 10 is describing some you know, awful mess right after saying in verse 9 that God satisfied the longing soul and filled the hungry soul with goodness. You want to know what will make it miserable for you is when you look up and see one group of people with the joy of the Lord and the provision of the Lord and the power of the Lord and the blessing of the Lord and you're sitting there bound in affliction and iron. I remember Johnny Cash singing that song about in a prison and looks out the window and sees the people on the trains going by and eating and drinking and whatever they wanted to do. And it just was a reminder that he was stuck in Folsom Prison or whatever it was that he was. And they were free. Listen, you want to get miserable? You just start being like the rebels in this passage and look up and see people with the joy of the Lord and the blessing of the Lord and realize you're bound in affliction and iron, and that'll make it even worse. Now, what in the world did they do to get in this mess? Verse 11, because. Aren't you glad for because in the Bible? God wants you to know why this happened. Amen. God wants you to know how they got in this mess. Let me give you the because of somebody who is sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. It's your fault. I don't deny that other people contributed. It's real hard sometimes for those that we love very dearly and we identify so much with them. That we get thinking, well, the problem was they got around some bad friends that taught them this. No. 
The problem is their own wicked heart. They chose to go with those friends. That's people very close to me, very close to me, get in some trouble, and there were some people that enabled them. And some of the other people that loved these people very dearly, very close to me, took out all their anger on the people that enabled them to do some of the things that they're doing and told how sorry they were to enable their dear loved one to do these things. And I don't deny that they have a part and they'll answer for their part one of these days on Judgment Day. But if you find yourself bound in affliction and iron, you chose to be in some of those places with some of those people doing some of those things you didn't need to do. It says because they rebelled against the words of God. They rebelled against God's words. Let me tell you what don't do. I gave some warnings this morning after some prayer requests saying, don't touch that stuff, don't touch that stuff, don't touch that stuff. Let me give you one just equally as urgent. Don't rebel against the words of God. Amen. Yes. Once you see a teaching is in this Bible, I don't care if you hate the guy who's telling it to you. Don't rebel against the words of God. You will end up bound in affliction and iron. And you're doing something to spite that guy just because you hate him won't change the fact that this teaching comes from the Word of God and you rebelling against it is going to get you in trouble. And it ain't going to do anything to that guy you hate. How did they get in this? Well, to summarize and to say it succinctly, they rebelled against God's words. All right, now here's another one. Verse 11, and contemned the counsel of the Most High. That word contemned is akin to our word contempt. If you want to mess up in your relationship with God, you want to mess up in your relationship with others. You want to mess up in your relationship with your boss. You want to mess up in your relationship with your parents, your spouse, or anybody else. Feel contempt. You know what happened? Uh, Saul's daughter that was married to David looked and saw David dancing with all that joy and it said despised him in her heart. And that was the end of her. That's right. Once you despise, once you get content, the, the, the famous marriage researchers that's brought all those people into what they call the love lab and done thousands and thousands. Gottman, I think his name, he's a Jew. Gottman did all these things and he studied all these things and he can interview somebody for just a few minutes and within like five minutes tell whether they're going to stay married or get divorced. It's unbelievable. It's unreal. And one of the things that he says is a guarantee that the relationship isn't going to last and this works in everything other than marriage as well as marriage is contempt. Once you just despise them and you hold them in contempt, that's the end. It's over. Number one, do not ever get contempt for God. What is your interaction with God? Has He showed up in white, shining clothes and interacted with you? No. Let me tell you where He's interacted with you. Right here. Contempt 
for God in our day means contempt for a King James Bible and its teachings. Amen. Because he's not showing up in person. That's a good point. If you despise the teaching and the preaching of the eternal principles of God's words, it's over. It is over unless you make a big time repentance. That is the end. You will end up bound in affliction and iron. I don't care if you don't like the person. I don't care any other factor. Don't contemn God. Contemn the counsel of the Most High. That's what we'll do. Look at, uh, we're in Psalms. The very next book over here is Proverbs. I'm going to read from Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Now you can disagree with somebody. I am all for us having the freedom to disagree. It wouldn't be much of a relationship if we couldn't be honest enough with each other to admit when we disagree. I try to be very transparent with you all and admit that I sometimes have disagreements with our Lord knowing that He has to be right. But I'm trying to be honest with you. His prophets, plenty of times His prophets in the, in the Old Testament talked about their disagreements with God. It didn't seem right what He was doing. So I'm just trying to be honest with you. You should be free to disagree with people. That's your freedom of conscience. That's your free will. That's your lack of understanding of things. But don't let your disagreement turn to contempt. Because once it's contempt, that's, that is a, one of the last stages before the end of a relationship with anybody in any context. Amen. That's a good point. All right. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Let's see. What am I wanting here? Verse 20. Four, I guess. Because I have called and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. What a mean thing. You want to get God or wisdom personified to act this way to you? Act the way that they're acting toward wisdom. Verse 27, when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel, they, there it is, despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. What was the problem? Was the problem that they disagreed with God's reproof? Well, no. From our human perspective, there will be things we don't understand, that we don't see in His plan. And we'll, if you would have asked us five minutes before God did it, we said, no, no, that, that won't be God's will. And then, lo and behold, it turns out to be. You know what? We disagreed. We had some things wrong. We're not as wise as him. It's fine to disagree. But don't you let your disagreement turn to despising. And that's true in every relationship in your life. But the main one it's true in is in your relationship with God. That's the, oh man, that's the most important one of all. They felt contempt for his counsel. And so what did they get? A heavy heart from unpleasant labor. You don't want to give you a heavy, hopeless heart. And all you got to do is just work that you despise 
for hours and hours and hours and days and days and days. That is an unhappy way to live. Did you know God can afflict you with daily toil? Oh, Psalm 78 says this, Therefore their days did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble. Man, how would you like your life story to be? My days were consumed in vanity and my years in trouble. What a horrible way to live. Psalm 106, And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Oh, they got what they wanted, but they lost what they had. There's been many a great sermon preached on that very subject. Heavy heart from unpleasant labor. Then they were down with no deliverer. Look at verse 12. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. What a miserable thing to be in a mess and there's nobody to help. You know what one of the blessings of having a good family and good friends around is? When you get in a mess, there is something that they can often help you. Amen. Wow, what a great thing. I got a lot of things I can't do, but I got some friends I can call that can handle those things. Maybe I can be a friend and help them sometime. Ecclesiastes 4.1, So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no what a sad thing. But as in all the stories of this chapter, there's a turning point. Praise the Lord for the turning point. Look at verse 13. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Amen. So their turning point was realizing their troubles and distresses to the point that they'd call on God. Jeremiah 31.3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You say, wait a minute, Brother Bob. You said that we're reading this so we'll understand the loving kindness of the Lord. And you're describing people in miserable situations. That is part of the loving kindness of the Lord. He sees that you need him so badly that the only way you'll realize it and call out to him is if he puts you in a place that is so bad that you know he's the only one that can help. As long as they think they can rely on a drug to get them through or a doctor to get them through or mom or daddy to get them through or an expert of some capacity to get them through, they never really turn to God. That's true. When the prodigal went away, the father just and a lot of times when a lot of people say they're turning to God, it's to impress the preacher so he'll help them or somebody else. It's not that they are really turning to God. And that's what happens with this rebel. But trouble and distresses, what does he do? Cried unto the Lord. Not a man, not a woman, not an organization, not an effort. Boy, there is something about being totally helpless and putting it all on God that changes things. Where when you have savings account and retirement and lawyer and doctor and investment advisor and God too, 
and surrounded by loved ones. And, and don't worry, don't get me wrong, the church people too, you see the difference there? You're counting on a lot of things and just kind of putting God in there as one additional help. Yeah. <laughs> He's not an additional help. Yeah. He's the whole thing. Amen. If you've got Him, the problem's over. And if you don't have Him, I don't care how many other. As long as you're counting on any other thing, there's no help. Amen. <laughs> it has to be God and God alone. And you know how he shows up in our day? Through this book. Yeah. Now, I'm not preaching against taking medicine. I'm not saying that. It might be that the way God chooses to help you is through medicine. I'm not saying don't talk to a preacher. It may be that the God might, uh, God might help you by talking to a preacher. I'm not saying don't have these things in your life at all. I'm saying don't put any reliance on them. Yeah. Don't count on them at all. Make sure your reliance is on God. Amen. Then let him do it whichever way he does it. And that could be any number of ways. Alright, so they cry unto the Lord. And what does he do? He saved them. Even brought them out of the shadow of death. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He saved them. Uh, furthermore, he corrected them. It says he brought them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness. So they didn't know which way to go. They did have this in common with the people in the first message. They were lost too. They were lost, but they were lost while being bound. So it was even a worse case of lost. But he corrected them. He brought them out. He freed them. He broke their bonds, their bands. Listen, we need some freedom. There are some things we're tied to that we can't get free from. Let me tell you something that's not bound. Remember that great passage that says the Word of God is not bound? It can do it anyway. You know, it's about time to pull that one out again. We had not preached that in a few years. The Word of God is not bound. But let me tell you something. You are. <laughs> Let him break your bands. Now, God didn't just do this only to show how nice he is. Now, that's part of it. He is nice. He's loving. This is a, a chapter on his loving kindness. But there's something he wants you to do. There is a purpose he has for you. In meekness instructing them that oppose themselves if God peradventure will grant them repentance. Why does God do this? Well, it tells us in verse 15, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to praise Him. Did you say something for God in front of somebody lately? Just speak up for God. You don't have to give them a theological lesson. You don't have to have everything explained and figured out. The Lord knows none of us do. But you can say, that's who I'm trusting. That's who I exalt. That's who I love. That's who I praise. That men would praise the Lord. Why? Number one, for His goodness. You know what? God has done many, many great things that don't have anything to do with Bob Schofield. But you know which ones come to mind the easiest for me? <laughs> The ones that had something to do with me. Amen. Now, I am real thrilled at the great 
of asteroid belt between some of the planets in our solar system. That's cool, that's amazing, that's mighty. Jupiter and that big red spot and Saturn and those rings, those are some neat things. Kind of neat to look at pictures of them. But you know, I, that's just not usually the, the thing that I talk about when I talk about the Lord. He did those. I'm mainly talking about when he saved me. I'm mainly talking about somebody I love and care about when he stepped in for them. For his goodness, his wonderful works to the children of men. Notice what the Lord has done for people. Why? Because that's one of the reasons he gives the deliverances he gives. For he hath broken the gates of brass and iron. Representing something that no man can break. Anybody here good at breaking gates of brass and iron? I'm saying not. Jeremiah 9.23 Let not the wise men glory in his wisdom, nor... The mighty man glory in his might, nor the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. God loves doing these things. Now judgment is part of it, but loving kindness is too. I'll tell you something else about those gates of brass and iron. They remind us of other mentions of gates and bars and brass and iron. And we don't have time to get into that study this morning. But there are some interesting things. How about in Leviticus where the Lord says he's going to make their heaven as iron and their earth as brass? Or in Isaiah chapter 45 where he says, I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. Or when poor Jonah was in the whale and he goes down at the bottoms of the mountains and it says the earth with her bars was about me forever. There are some interesting places where gates and bars and iron and brass show up in the Word of God. Amen. God doesn't have any trouble dealing with those things. But you and I do. Oh, yes. When we see gates and brass and iron, there's just not a thing we can do. If God doesn't step in and do something, there just isn't anything to do. All right, now that's the repenting rebels. Now let's look at the repenting fools in verses 17 to 22. First of all, let's look at their description in history. Uh, it says in verse 17, Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Now fools, I looked up that word fool in the Bible and saw that foolishly is mentioned there uh, in respect to Jacob and Laban when Jacob did something that Laban could have hurt him for. And he said, you've done foolishly because it's in the power of my hand to do you hurt. said, God came to me in a dream told me I better not touch you, so I won't. But normally, buddy, you better not do somebody like this because that's going to get you hurt. It's in the power of my hand to do you hurt. That's acting foolishly. All right, also Saul. What did he do? He lived foolishly in that he brought punishment on himself. Oh, me, 1 Samuel chapter 26. You know what that reminds me? Fools hurt themselves. We live in a day of great self-destruction. People doing habits that are hurting them. And by the way, the Bible-believing Baptists aren't immune to this. Amen. You can find Bible-believing Baptists doing all the stupid habits that's killing us as much as anybody else. And one of the big ones is this one right here. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're going to be spending hundreds of thousands of dollars just to try to keep themselves alive on a, 
on a hospital bed one of these days if they don't quit. But uh, you, know what, you know what your problem is? You're fool when you do something that hurts yourself. And it says here in verse 17, fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities are afflicted. Again, God gives us a great because. What got us in this mess? Transgression and iniquities. Uh, transgression means breaking a law or a command. Iniquity means great injustice or wickedness. So what do they get? Afflicted. Afflicted. Verse um, 17, afflicted to the point that verse 18 says, their soul abhorreth all manner of meat. They're miserable in their sickness. How do you feel when you're so sick you don't even want to see or smell food? Is that one of your happy times? <laughs> no, that's when you're miserable. You know, one of the main reasons that we party and that we break the rules and that we go against the Lord and we say, don't tell me what to do. I'll rule my own life. Is because we're wanting to go have fun. Right. But it ends up lost in last week's sermon or bound in affliction and iron in the rebels that we just talked about or miserable in sickness where you don't even want food. Let me tell you something. If you're halfway healthy and feeling good and in a good mood, food looks good to you. If you don't even want to see any food, you're not feeling right. God put something in us where we like food. When he has a celebration time in the Old Testament, they have a big feast. Food is a good thing. Let's, let's not turn it into a bad thing, okay? <laughs> but it's a good thing. When somebody wants nothing to do with all manner, I'm talking abhorreth all manner of meat. I don't mean, well, I'm full, I've had enough. That's not abhorring. Abhorring is, ooh, get that away from me. Amen. You want to get that miserable? Let me tell you what to do. Be a fool that takes part in stuff that is hurting you. Even the world, as we've often quoted, warns you against self-destructive behaviors. They are afflicted. They're miserable instead of having fun. But it's worse than that. They're even near death. It says in verse 18, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Hey, you know what? If you're so miserable that you abhor all manner of food, that's a real good time to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What am I doing wrong here? Life isn't supposed to be this miserable. Why don't I change? If you are forevermore trying to pump yourself up with something to give you some joy, whether it be something the world offers or something that a substance offers or something uh, that an addiction of some sort offers, that's a real good time to say, wait a minute, there is a deficiency in my life somewhere. We've talked before about how your body will get craving a certain vitamin or something and you keep eating, eating, eating because your body's wanting that vitamin but you're not giving it that vitamin so all you do is keep packing the food in and it, it never gets satisfied. And there's a lot of people's lives that are that way. There's something missing. And of course, it's a close relationship with the Lord and they're packing everything else in there trying to get that thing and they never get it. Why? Because they don't try God. They're near death. You want to get near death? Just get involved in sin. James 1.15 says, When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. 
Psalm 88 says, Shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave, or thy faithfulness in destruction? My, they're near death. What is the turning point then for these fools? Verse 19 and 20. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. They cry unto the Lord after these trouble and distresses. Notice it had said the past tense back in verse 6 when the lost people cried unto the Lord. It had said past tense in verse 13 when they cried unto the Lord. But look at verse 19. It says it present tense. Then they cry unto the Lord. Hmm. I wonder if there's somebody here right here today. Present tense that needs to cry unto the Lord. This is going on all day, every day. They cry unto the Lord. You can be a part of this group. This isn't talking about just ancient history. This is talking about right now today. You want to get in on this? Let me tell you what to do. Present tense, cry unto the Lord. Verse um, 19 says, And he saveth them. Present tense. Not as in verse 6, delivered them past tense, but verse 19, saveth them out. You know what he'll do? He'll do it for you today. If he isn't delivering you today, you know what you're not doing? You're not crying in them. Or you're not doing what he says when, when he does. When he does answer you. He saveth them out of their distresses. He has, he has loving kindness. He sent his word and healed them, verse 20 says. Folks, this is the healing balm. You will have to take this and obey it. This is how he'll do it. He won't do it any other way. He sent his word and healed them. It even reversed some of the effects of their sin. Psalm 103 says, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Here they have a disease. They get out of it. Now don't misunderstand. There will be some results of your sin you'll just have to live with. God and his wisdom, for whatever reason, let some of them stay there, maybe for a punishment, maybe for an example to others, maybe for a reminder to you. I don't know all of his reasons. But there are plenty of times he even takes away some of the punishment. He has not dealt with us according to our iniquities. I'll never forget hearing Dr. Paisley years ago in the 80s preach three things God does not do. And one of them was, he hath not dealt with us after our sins. And he preached the grace of God, boy. It was wonderful. Not only does he get you out of hell, there's some things you've done, even after you weren't going to hell, after you were saved, that if he had brought the full punishment, you would have sure been sorry, even here on planet Earth. And okay. you know what he did? He yeah. just let it go. Amen. Didn't he? Yes. I'm talking about since you were saved. You know what he does? He does that sometimes because he's loving, he's full of loving kindness. And he delivered them from their destructions. Notice whose destructions they're called. Out of their, I'm sorry, distresses. He calls them your distresses because you're the one that got in it. You shouldn't have done it. But God gives a reason for saving them. Verse 21, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. 
that men would praise him for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Hosea 2 says, I will betroth thee unto me forever. I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. Let me tell you something. Our relationship with God is a lot like a marriage. In the New Testament, we're called the bride of Christ. Amen. What a, boy, you talk about lifted up out of the dunghill to get to marry. They talk about people marrying into a real good family and changing their life. Buddy, you marry into God's family, that'll change your life. For his goodness is wonderful works to the children of men. But there's something expected of you. Verse 22 says, And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. It'll cost you. It'll cost you. You'll have to put something out. Some things you had some other plans for. in those plans and give the thing to God. I love that commercial I cry every year when they play that thing. Where this grandfather has his granddaughter, and he had this dream of getting this certain kind of car, and instead he buys her a car. And she said, Grandfather, but your dream. He said, Well, my dreams have changed now. And let me tell you something you fall in love with the Lord Jesus, and your dreams change. Oh, that's the truth. Amen. And the thing that you had planned to do, all of a sudden you're happy to change them for him. Borrowed treasures, borrowed <laughs> dreams, all life's joys you've given to me. What a blessed thing. Lord, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. God will change your dreams. And let me tell you something, they'll be a lot better. Oh, yeah. When they change to be in alignment with him. He, uh, he saves you so that you'd sacrifice for him. So that you'll give him thanks. It says in verse 22, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of Thanksgiving. One of the best things we do in this country is have a Thanksgiving day. One of the best things you'll do every day is have a time in your prayer life where you thank God. One of the reasons He saved you is to hear your thanks. Hebrews 13, By Him therefore let us offer the sacrifices of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Psalm 69, 30, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hoofs. Do you remember, forgive me, but I'm just going to speak plainly here. Do you remember those boring, detailed passages in the Old Testament that tell just exactly how to kill the animal and cut it and do this and that and sprinkle the blood this way and that way and all? Apparently that's real important to God because he takes up chapter after chapter and page after page telling you just how to do And this one is for a thanksgiving and this one is for a sin atonement and this one is for... I mean, he's into that stuff. So apparently they needed to really do it because it was important to him. And by the way, as I read Israel's history, I don't see where they got into that too much. They didn't really carry it out detailed. But, having said all that, the Lord really liked it and put a lot into it. But here is something that pleases the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hoofs. You know what it is? Magnify him with thanksgiving. As important as all those things were, God says, this is better than that. Be thankful to me. Today, as you're driving and it gets quiet in the car, start thanking him for everything he's done for you. Tonight, when it gets quiet and you're drifting off to sleep, thank Him. In the morning when you wake up, but you hadn't quite raised up yet because you're just now waking up, you know, 
<laughs> thank him. On the way to work, thank him. Before you eat your food, thank him. When you hug a loved one that you still have with you, thank him. I'll tell you something else, though, and this is the last point. He saves you, not only so that you'll sacrifice for him and give him thanks, but so you will joyfully declare his works. Look at verse 22. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. You know why there's some rejoicing missing in some Christians' lives? They're not declaring his works. You start declaring his works. It is a blessing to be at Bible Baptist in Pensacola and see some people tell what God's done and some people start getting happy in there and start shouting. And maybe they shouldn't throw songbooks, but you know what they do. Maybe they shouldn't run where they about trip over somebody, but you know what they do. It was a blessing to be at Tabernacle Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina, and look up, and somebody God had saved took off running every once in a while. I met Cornerstone Baptist over in Carthage, and somebody took off running one time. And I went, wait a minute, I am in Tennessee, right? <laughs> I didn't think they did that here. Now, I'm not saying you have to exactly run or you have to exactly throw a songbook. If you hit me with one, I'm going to get aggravated. But I am saying, but I am saying, you need to declare God's works with rejoicing. Amen. I don't believe in playing the lottery, but if you just won the lottery, I bet you'd be telling that with some rejoicing. Uh-oh. If you just won the sweepstakes, I bet you'd be telling that with rejoicing. If your favorite team just won the championship, I bet you'd be telling that with some rejoicing. If you just got a big raise at work or a big bonus or... Uh, a big inheritance or a bunch of something big in life change, or you got your sweetheart or it's your birthday and you got a present you love. Some of these things you tell with rejoicing, but when we talk about the Lord, we say, yeah, and I really appreciate the Lord doing that. Yeah, you saved me. Very good. Uh, now I don't have to burn in hell forever. Hmm. Uh, not having to burn in hell forever is a bigger deal than we Yes, it is. Getting to go to heaven and walk on streets of gold and live forever and never be sick again and never be bald again. That's something to rejoice about. Yeah. Just trying to think up something funny to say. But hey, listen. Declare His works with rejoicing. That's one of the reasons He saves you from these situations. You know what we saw in Psalm 107 today? We saw rebels and fools. It's bad enough to be lost. You get yourself in a way worse shape when you're a rebel or a fool. Don't be a rebel or a fool. Get with God. And the way He'll interact with you today is in prayer and Bible reading. And let Him tell you what you need to do to get out. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to read and study your word. Lord, we thank you.